0: your life after all of us are who we are because of someone else someone else that we're trying to be someone else that we're trying to emulate or imitate i guess right now all of us or most of us at least we uh have the atlanta braves on our mind don't we and we're thinking man there's only one more game and we're excited about that game tonight I love watching little league ball players. Because you can always tell when a, a little league ball player has a, a favorite big leaguer. Because when they get up to the plate to bat, you'll see that little guy standing there trying his or her best to emulate the batting stance of whoever their favorite big league ball player in the moment may be. As adults, well, we watch celebrities, don't we? We watch celebrities and and we look how they dress, and we look at how they wear their hair, and we say, ooh, hey, I want to dress that way, or I want my hair to look like their hair. Or some of us, we don't worry about that, do we, Mark? Just No sweat. <laughs> but all of us are who we are because of someone else. There is someone that we're imitating. And none of us are 100% unique. No matter how much we may want to think we're original and no matter how much we want to think that we've gotten where we are on our own, that's not the truth. Nobody is 100% unique. All of us have. Well, we've modeled ourselves after somebody somewhere along the way. And I think the quicker that we come to that understanding as human beings, that, that we just tend to imitate someone else, well, maybe that will help us make sure that the person that we are imitating is worth being imitated. What we see as Paul is writing to the church in Philippi is he's going to turn his his spotlight, if you will, on those who are worthy of imitation. We looked at it a few weeks ago. He would begin, as he very well should have, that our first and primary focus when it comes to who we imitate is Jesus. That all of us should have our our minds like Christ. And that if our minds are like Christ, then we will live as Christ lived. And, And we'll live a life of service. And we will live a life of obedience. And we will live a life of surrender. And we will live a life of sacrifice. We will live a life of love we will live the life that a Christian has been called to live because we are striving to be like or to imitate Jesus Christ. But then there are also others in our life who are striving themselves to imitate Christ. And they too are oftentimes worthy of our imitation. And that's what we're going to see in Philippians this morning. Timothy and Epaphroditus, both of whom, along with the Apostle Paul, have qualities in their life that make them worthy of our imitation. Philippians 3.17 says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Who are us? Paul Timothy, Epaphroditus. You see, Timothy and Epaphroditus, while Paul's writing the letter of Philippians, they are actually still in Rome with Paul as he's writing this. And Paul's plan is to send Epaphroditus onto the church at Philippi with this letter that he's written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Epaphroditus is going to be the mailman, if you will. He's going to be the one to deliver this letter to the church at Philippi. Then what Paul wants to do is he wants to send Timothy a little bit later. And he's hoping that Timothy will go and encourage and teach, but then that Timothy will come back to him and tell him about all the good things that's happening in the church in Philippi. Don't you think Paul wanted to know what their reaction would be to this letter? Don't you think that Paul would want to know If they were letting their light shine with the gospel the way that he knew they should and they could? Don't you think that the Apostle Paul wanted to know that they were living their life faithful in his absence? Don't you think that these things and so many more would have brought such great cheer to the Apostle Paul It would have really just, man, it would have made his day. And so that is his hope, that he's going to be able to send Timothy to them, and Timothy is then going to come back with great news. So what are some things that we can learn? What are some things we can imitate from Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus? Well, first of all, when it comes to Paul, Paul made plans, but Paul's plans were always, always with the will of God in mind. Notice he would write in Philippians 2.19 I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. I hope in the Lord Jesus. Paul wanted to make sure that his will was the will of God. Paul had dreams, Paul had desires. Paul had things he wanted to do, just like all of us do. But Paul also had, at the very root of who he was, he had this desire to make sure that all of his plans were in accordance with the will and the plan of God. And Paul truly believed that if his personal plans, if they didn't connect with the plan of God, he wanted to scrap his plans. Because he understood that it wasn't about him. But it was about carrying out, living out the will of God in his life. Have we reached that point of spiritual maturity yet? Where we can honestly say that our heart's desire is to live a life where it's not about our will, but the will of God. Because we understand, we know that what God says is always right, That His will, His plan, His purpose is always on point. Even in moments we don't understand it, we believe that to be true. And so we truly always want our will to be His. Or or do we find ourselves sometimes struggling with what the will of God is because we really don't like what He says? We really don't really like or agree with what His plan or His purpose for us may be as what we see in the Word of God. And so whenever it seems that way with decisions we're making in our life, we just, well, maybe we try to convince God sometimes in our prayers to go along with our plan instead of carrying out His. Or maybe sometimes we just say, fine, don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. I know, I understand, I see what you say I should do. I see what your will is. You've made it very crystal clear. Don't care. I'm going to live how I want to live. I'm going to make the decisions I want to make. I'm going to do what I want to do. Now, we probably wouldn't say it that rebelliously or boldly. But that's exactly what our actions and our heart reflect. When we just completely ignore the will of God. So have we reached that point of maturity? that point of spiritual maturity that says, I understand, I hope, I I know that this life is not about me. I want your will to be done. And I want to make sure that my will, my plans are yours first and foremost. That's tough for us sometimes. And the reason it's tough is because we're kind of stubborn. Probably sounds better to say we're (laughs) strong-willed. I don't know if there was anyone probably more strong-willed than the Apostle Paul. But even the Apostle Paul was humble enough to say, it's not about me. It's about you. And Lord, I want to live how you've called me to live. And I want to make sure that what I want is your will. So we, man, we can really learn a lot if we'll just begin to imitate the Apostle Paul and begin to live a life that truly says It's about your will, not mine, being done. The Apostle Paul would write in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. You see, this is the reason why the Apostle Paul could try, could try to live his life every single day in a way where he was trying to make sure that his will was in accordance with the will of God. Because he was trying to imitate the very one, who perfectly lived this life in such a way that said, it's not about me. It's about You, Father. Listen to how Jesus described His mission on this earth in John 6.38. He said, for I have come down from heaven not to do My own will, but the will of Him who sent Me. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. He was deity. He was the Son of God. As we read in in Philippians 2, He he humbled Himself to the, the point of death, even death on the cross. You know, He had His own will. He could have made His own choices. He had His own temptations. But at His heart, at His heart, His desire was, I have come not for My own will, but for Yours. And there is nowhere, nowhere that you see that any better on display than when Jesus is in the garden. He's in the shadow of the cross. He knows what is waiting for Him. He has a better understanding of everything that He is about to endure than anybody else could ever possibly have. And you remember what he prayed? He said, this is going to be awesome, Father. I can't wait for this. Going a little bit farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The Apostle Paul was imitating Christ. The mindset of Christ is one that says, I readily acknowledge this life's not about me. The choices I make. The decisions I make. How I think. How I speak. How I live. It's not about what I want. It's not about what makes me happy. It's not about what makes me tick. It's about Your will, Father. What's Your will? And if I'm not living my life in accordance with Your will, shame on me. Is there an area of your life where you need to surrender? Is there an area of your life that you need to to change? An area of your life where you need to say, I get it. It's not about me. It's about you. It's about me living my life by Your plan and by Your will. I think as we live our life from day to day, we've got to do it with with Bible in hand. And we've got to do it on, on bent knees that are praying to God. And we've got to be making our decisions based on what His will is. And we've got to be living a life that is is humble. uh, A life where we value the will of God over our own. And when we finally begin to do that, you know what we'll find? Peace. Joy. Contentment we'll finally begin to know so many of the spiritual blessings on this earth that can be ours. But we miss out on as long as we're trying to be our own boss. As long as we're trying to be king of our own life. As long as we're trying to call our own shots. As long as we're continuing to carry out and live our will and acknowledging the will of God. You want those spiritual blessings? You want the hope of life everlasting? Then you've got to surrender. You've got to live a life that says, I know, I know this life isn't easy. I know this life can be discouraging. I know this life can be painful. I know that to live for the will of the Father isn't always something that's just like is awesome and fun. But I get it. I understand how important it is to surrender. I understand how necessary it is to obey. I understand how essential it is for me to live. To live for the One who died for me. To imitate Christ. Because I am a Christian. Paul also had an optimistic spirit. Going back to verse 19. He says, "So that I too may be cheered by news of you." Listen, do do you do you know anyone who's always like doom and gloom? Do you do you know anyone who's always like, well, everything in this life is horrible. It's not gonna get any better. It's just gonna get worse. And like everything is doom and gloom and the sky is always falling. And it's like, oh, when is the next shoe going to drop? Do you know anybody like that? Are you that person? If so, stop. Stop being that person. That is not who God has called you to be. Maybe maybe it's in your marriage. You're going through the routine. You're going through the motions. And, and you know, you just think to yourself, but you know what? It's never going to be any better. And with that attitude, you're probably right. Or maybe it's in your job. You go to work every day. You do what the boss tells you to do, but you go, oh, you know, I just don't feel appreciated. And with that attitude, you may not be. Or maybe it's here with the church. It's here with the church. You come together, you go through the motions of Christianity. Maybe you even do something occasionally and you get off the pew for a second and you try to be a servant and you go, But I don't think I'm ever going to grow spiritually. You're probably not. That is not the attitude of the Apostle Paul, that is not the mindset of Christ. You cannot have that that pessimistic, self-defeating doom and gloom. Blake, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. You're a pessimist. That's all it is. You're a pessimist. The Apostle Paul was optimistic. The Apostle Paul said, I'm going to send Timothy so that I can be cheered by what? By the good news. The Apostle Paul Had this optimistic outlook that said, I can't wait to hear back from the church at Philippi. I can't wait to hear about all the good they're doing. I can't wait to hear about the way they're living their life. I can't wait to hear about the way they're shining their light. Because when I hear about that, oh, I'm going to hear all those good things. And man, it's just going to make my day. You know what he didn't say? Oh, man, I tell you what, there's no telling what's going on there in Philippi. I mean, I've heard about what's happening in Corinth. That's bad enough. There's no telling all all the sin and and the nastiness that's going on in Philippi. I really dread, I really dread hearing back from Timothy about what's going on. No. He was an optimist. He believed in people. He believed in the Lord. The Apostle Paul was filled with, I think you could call it hopeful expectation. You know, and I I think that's what we should strive to have. We we should be a people filled with hope, expecting good things, expecting good news from, from those around us, expecting the best out of the people who are around us. Pray that we would imitate the Apostle Paul and that we would have a faith that has that same hopeful expectation that we could be optimistic looking for the good things because we know i hope we know that even in the discouraging moments of life even when bad things do happen because bad things absolutely happen but even when they do i know i know i serve a god who is continually working for the good of those he loves I know that. I believe that to be true. So no matter what's going on, no matter how disastrous it may seem, no matter how discouraged I may be, no matter how heartbroken I may be, I know, I know that my God, that my God has the power for it still to work to the good. And so I can still be filled with that hopeful expectation as opposed to being consumed with frowns. There's a lot of good people. There's a lot of good people in this life and in this world, and we need not ever, ever lose sight of that. You know, if there was ever a mini-me for the Apostle Paul, it would have been Timothy, I think, and and Paul would write about Timothy in verse twenty. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. You hear what Paul's saying? There's nobody in my life like Timothy, man. Timothy is a straight arrow. Timothy is top shelf. Timothy is, is a wonderful, wonderful man of God. Now, of course, we know. We know that Paul looked at Timothy as a, as a son in the, in the faith. And we know that, that no doubt, Timothy and Paul, they, they shared dreams and desires. And they shared, I'm sure, discouragement. <laughs> they shared a passion. They shared a passion for God. They shared a a passion for spreading the Gospel. And just like the Apostle Paul, Timothy was more concerned about the well-being of others more so than himself. Let's put this together now in verse 21. He says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all, that's everyone else, they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus. Even in today's world, it can be hard sometimes to find people who genuinely are concerned about the welfare, the well-being of other people. It's not hard to find nice people who do nice things. That's not hard. What is hard <laughs> is to find people, nice people who do nice things, without ulterior motives. You see, if you really want to be someone like a Timothy who is a genuine servant, then there can't be any ulterior motives to why we do the good that we do. But a lot of times, whether we want to admit it or not, there are a lot of ulterior motives to even the good that we do in this life. And and if there's any ulterior motives, then it can't be the right motive. So, for some, for some we, we do good because we like that feeling of someone else owing me something. I'm going to do something nice for you because my expectation is somewhere down the line, I'm going to need it and you're going to do something nice for me. Now, if you don't think you have that kind of thought process, if you think, I would never want to hold anyone indebted to anything nice I've ever done for them, okay, well then ask yourself this, has there ever been a time you felt slighted by someone? You felt someone didn't do something nice for you and your first thought was, I can't believe they didn't do this for me because I remember when I did that for them. So you do have an ulterior motive. You you are keeping score. And you see, if that's your ulterior motive, that's the wrong motive for doing good. For others of us, we just like the feeling of being appreciated. We, We like when somebody pats us on the back and says, good job. Now listen, there's absolutely nothing wrong with encouragement. And I I don't want to discourage you from being encouraging people. I think we should be a people who, who are continually encouraging one another to do good things. But, you know as well as I do, there's a very thin line there that's easy to cross sometimes. Where your whole drive for doing the good is to hear good job. And if nobody pats you on the back and says good job, you feel what? unappreciated. And when you start feeling unappreciated by human beings, what should, that ask, what should that tell you? Who was I doing it for? Was I doing the good I was doing for the approval of man? Or was I doing the good I was doing for the approval of God? You see, all of us at times struggle with ulterior motives. Maybe those two aren't yours. Maybe you have a different one. Maybe you just don't like feeling guilty. You absolutely cannot stand feeling guilty when somebody asks you to do something and you have to say no. Saying no is so hard for you. Maybe you're kind of like myself and and deep down you're kind of a people pleaser (laughs) and you just want to say yes and you just want to always be able to do everything you can do. Oh, and you really struggle with saying no. And you just hate the way it makes you feel because you just feel so guilty for not being able to do everything all the time. And, And so just so you don't have to feel guilty, you'll do the nice thing. So then what's the motive? Avoiding feeling guilty. You see, I think all of us struggle at times with various ulterior motives for why we do what we do. While we do the good that we do. What, what must always be the primary motivation? There's only one motivation that will ever be satisfactory to God. And that's when we do the good we do for Jesus. When we show love for others and care for others as we would for Jesus. I'm sure you remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25:40. The King will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these of the least of my brothers... You did it to me. So whatever we do for other people, whatever kindness, whatever acts of of servanthood, our primary motivation, the only motivation that matters is whether or not we are truly doing it for Jesus. Timothy was also someone who was very committed to Going down to verse 22, Paul would write, but you know Timothy's proven worth how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. Listen, I'm sure that Timothy had discouraging moments. I'm sure Timothy had moments where he thought, oh, man, running with Paul is tough. (laughs) But you know what Timothy never did? He never did what so many other people did. He didn't quit. He didn't give up. There were others who did. There were others who had been helping Paul at different times who finally, for whatever the reason, said, Psh, I'm out. But not Timothy. Timothy, no matter what was happening, he was faithful. Timothy wouldn't have allowed the discouragement of this life to pull him away from the Gospel. Timothy wouldn't have allowed the, the allurement of the things of this world to pull him away from the faith. Timothy was proven. He was committed. And that same level of commitment is what God expects from us today. A commitment that says no matter what the heartbreak, no matter what the discouragement, I'm not going to walk away from You, Lord. No matter... How, how appealing the physical things of this world may be. How alluring the things and the comforts and the pleasures of life may be. I'm not going to allow that to, to choke out the faith in my heart. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be driven. I'm going to be proven. I'm going to be committed to the cause of Christ. Is that where you are? Your faith, your commitment. Your commitment. Is it as strong or stronger now than it ever has been in your spiritual life? And if it's not, why not? My encouragement to all of us today would be to to recommit ourselves to the Lord. To serve Him, to serve others, to share our faith, to share the, the hope of heaven, to live like Christ has called us to live and yes, there's going to be times when it's discouraging. And yes, there's going to be times, lots and lots of times, when it's tempting to walk away from the faith. But God says, He promises us that if we will stick with Him, if we will be faithful to Him, He will be faithful to us. And that He guarantees. He doesn't guarantee us an easy life. But you know what He promises us? A life that won't be wasted. And you tell me that doesn't, doesn't touch your heart. Because I don't want to live this life. And I don't believe any of us want to live this life and think that when our time on earth is done, that, that we're just going to be like a, another, another tombstone and we're not really going to be very important or effective and, and that our life has just kind of been in vain. We don't want that. You want to live a life that's not wasted? The only way you can know for sure is to live and die with the Lord. There's no other way. Now, Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was also a man who was worthy to be imitated because he was willing to risk everything for Christ. Paul would write, I have thought it necessary to send you, Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow and if you go down to verse 30 he said for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me I hope that none of us are ever in a position a literal position to risk our life for the cause of Christ but the reality is if we're gonna live a faithful life to the Lord there's going to be risk. You can't live a faithful life without there being risk. And whatever it is that we risk, whatever it is that we sacrifice for the Lord, time and time again, it's worth it. It's worth it because then, then we can live a life that is truly worthy of honor. We back up a little bit. Paul would write in verse 29, so receive him, that is Epaphroditus, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Do what others can't do. Do what others won't do. Be willing to risk for the cause of Christ. Be willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Be able to, to look to men like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus and model your life after their life. Because who were they modeling their life after? Jesus. So here's a a question for us as we end. Are you striving every day to walk in the footsteps of Jesus? Are you striving every day to imitate your Savior? To look to the will and the Word of God. To know Jesus. To know who He is. To know how He lived His life. To understand His mindset. As James would write, talk about this spiritual mirror that we have that that we can look into. Can Can you look into your mirror today? Can you look into the Word of God and say, I'm doing all right. By the grace of God, I'm trying every day to live more and more like Jesus. Or or do you look in the mirror and go, oh, I don't like what I see. So I'm just going to close it and ignore it. I've told you before, I think, about a a professor I had many years ago in college. He uh, He was a biology professor. Every day he came into class Like his tie would be like this. Uh, His hair, I can't even make my hair go in all the directions his hair went. There may be smudge, he may have breakfast on his face. And every day he came in and I thought, did the dude even check a mirror before he came in here? (laughs) And I would imagine that for most all of us, before we came this morning, we looked in a literal mirror and I would imagine some of us looked lots. Right, you did. (laughs) Make sure that lipstick's right. Make sure it's not on your teeth. You do that. We all do it. Doesn't mean we're vain. Do we spend as much, if not more time in this spiritual mirror, the Word, the will of God, to make sure that our spiritual appearance, that who God sees when He looks at us, is a reflection? And it's an imitation of Jesus. Listen, if you've never obeyed the Gospel of Christ, that's the way you begin your relationship with Him. You actually imitate Him in the way that He died and was buried and was resurrected by the power of God three days later from the grave. You imitate Him by reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection by dying to yourself and by being buried in that watery grave of baptism And by the power of God, the same power that resurrected Jesus, you are resurrected, forgiven of all your past sins, ready to walk in newness of life. It's a beautiful thing. A new life where you're doing what? Imitating Christ. Where you continue to imitate Him. That's where most of us are. Most of us have obeyed the Gospel. We did reenact the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We did imitate Him in that. But but how are we doing with the rest of the story? Are we continuing to live a life that's faithful? Are we continuing to live a life imitating Christ? And if not, why? Listen, if there's something, if there's anything that we can help you with today, why don't you come as we stand and sing for your encouragement.